1: This month, our Wednesdays will be rewinds of previous episodes with new stories every Sunday. But hang in there, folks. We are working on a significant change beginning the first week in September, which marks our fifth anniversary. Thank you for your patience as we fine-tune our exciting new plans. You're listening to a clip of Chasing Trains by Joe Joyce Band. This acoustic pop rock band from Malaria, Ohio is our featured musical artist this week and if you hang out with us to the end of the podcast we'll tell you more about Joe Joyce Band and play the whole song for you but right now let's throw another log on the fire campers we've got a real head turner out of Medina County I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And with me is our storyteller and researcher, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent more than 30 years telling these kinds of stories at the Akron Beacon Journal.
0: Hi, everybody.
1: Now, if memory serves me right, this will be our first mystery out of
0: Medina County. Yep, that's right. We're going to Hinkley for this one. That's a township up in the county's northwest corner. What do you think of when you think of Hinkley, Steve? The buzzards? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Have you ever been up there for their big uh, buzzard event? No, it
1: just, I just remember Dick Goddard always talking about
0: it. Yeah, well, if, if for anybody who isn't familiar with it, the buzzards return to Hinkley every March 15 and have for more than a century. And so they have a big festival, and the town comes out and celebrates that the, the buzzards have returned to mark the beginning of spring. Anyway, the Buzzards definitely put this town on the map. But if you lived in that area in the mid-1980s, you might remember Hinkley for something else. It's a town that misplaced its police chief.
1: Oh, misplaced a police chief?
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. His name was Mel Wiley. And to this day, nobody knows what happened to the chief on that warm summer day in 1985 when he vanished, never to be heard from again. But there are some very strong theories, including one that could even lead to a happy ending. So, let me lay out the case for you. Our story begins July 28, 1985. It's a Sunday, and Chief Wiley calls his girlfriend to tell her he's meeting an old friend who's visiting from out of town. He says they're going to Edgewater Park. That's on the shore of Lake Erie in Cleveland. They're going to go swimming. But he and his girl make plans for a date the next day. Well, Monday comes, but the chief is nowhere to be found. He doesn't show up at the donut shop where he always starts his day, catching up on gossip over a cup of coffee. The donut shop. Police chief. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, every day. I don't know about that one. He doesn't eat a lot of the donuts, I'm told. (laughs) Okay. But it's it's his regular stop. That's not the mystery. He, that's not the mystery. Uh, he, he doesn't show up at the police station. And that evening, he misses his date with his girlfriend. Everyone's looking for the police chief. And the next day, on Tuesday, that's July 30th, a Cleveland Metro Parks ranger finds Chief Wiley's car. His 1980 Toyota station wagon is at the Edgewater Park parking lot right where he said it would be. Now inside the car are his shirt, trousers, belt, shoes, and socks all neatly folded and laying inside the locked car the way someone might place their clothes after they've changed into swim trunks. There's also a beach towel and some suntan lotion, his wallet with $15 in cash, his credit cards, his police identification badge, all in a nice neat pile. He's even got a pack of Salem cigarettes tucked into his shoe. There are no signs of foul play. You know what's weird? What?
1: Last night I was listening to Art Bell, an old episode of missing people in state parks. Really? Yes, isn't that weird that did he I had no idea you were doing this. Did
0: he mention Mel Wiley?
1: No. I, I well I fell asleep. Oh. You know, you know how everybody falls
0: asleep to Art Bell. You might have to go back. I'm gonna have to go back. Because this is a pretty famous one. Wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, no. like I said, no signs of foul play. And investigators are quickly going to shun the idea of suicide. Friends and coworkers said he never seemed depressed or said anything that would indicate he was thinking of taking his own life. So, of course, the first theory many people might come to is drowning. So the Coast Guard, the Cleveland Police Department's Ports and Harbor Unit, and the Ohio Division of Watercraft all search for Chief Wiley's body without success.
1: And this is, I didn't realize Hinkley was that close to Lake Erie. It's right there, huh?
0: Yeah, it's at the top of Medina County, so it's not that far to get to Lake Erie. Okay,
1: and there's people always, you know, every year we're hearing something about a drowning in Lake Erie.
0: Yeah. One of the challenges there is if somebody goes missing, you can't drag an entire lake. You can't drag the lake at all unless you've got a very specific spot in my name, as we've done... Episodes on shipwrecks—you can't even find missing shipwrecks. It's a pretty muddy lake, you know. There's not a—it's not visible. You can't see a lot underwater. Exactly. So they say. Well, after three days, the body should have surfaced, and currents would have carried it east or west along the shore. And if he drowned, you're simply going to have to wait for the body to reveal itself. Right, and if he drowned, it definitely would.
1: I mean, we've we've seen uh, bodies, you know, show up from the shipwreck back in. The 1800s, so, and, and you know, we have. Uh, yeah, you know, in that case, to it search.
0: took like a year right. for those bodies to show up on shore. And now so. we have a
1: modern way to search, so.
0: Right, exactly. Right, okay. But you know, back in Hinkley, people, they're not buying the drowning theory because they aren't buying the swimming story. The chief didn't swim, he never swam. He probably didn't even know how to swim, they said. Why would he meet an old friend by going for a dip in Lake Erie? Also, he had fair skin, hated being in the sun, and he had radiation scars. He got them serving in the Army when he was assigned to the Nevada Atomic Test Site. Art Bell would have loved that connection. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Anyway, he was very self-conscious of these scars, and he wore long-sleeved shirts all summer long to hide them. He was not the kind of guy who was going to expose them to go swimming. Now, Medina City police are put in charge of the investigation, and the lead is handed to Detective James Bigham. And Bigham is the perfect guy for this because he knows Wiley. They worked together in the Medina County Sheriff's Office and had been friends for 15 years. And within days, maybe within hours, Bigham has formed an entirely different theory. He thinks it quite likely that Wiley has run away. Run away? Wow. That he has staged his own disappearance. He Now, he knew Wiley's service in the army intelligence would equip him well for vanishing without a trace if that's what he wanted to do. Before we go any further, though, let me tell you a little bit more about Chief Wiley, and you might come to understand why Bigham has this theory. It's 1985, he's 47 years old. A year earlier, he and his wife of 17 years divorced. He and Cynthia had no children. Some described him as friendly enough, though a loner, maybe even aloof. But he wasn't a man without passions. He loved model trains. He even built a loop of tracks that went around the police department offices. He loved music, he collected classical, jazz, and big band albums. He even liked recording himself, playing the records in the background while he added his own commentary like a DJ. Oh, wow. He was also an artist and wrote poems. He could have been a podcaster. He probably would have been a great podcaster. (laughs) Well, early in his year... He served as a fingerprint clerk for the FBI in Washington, and he was a soldier assigned to Army Intelligence at Fort Ord in California. After he left the military, he spent a year working as a reporter at the Medina County Gazette. Then he became a deputy at the Medina County Sheriff's Office, and in 1982, Hinckley Township Trustees appointed him their chief of police. Oh, okay. Now, he may not have especially enjoyed police work. He didn't hunt. He didn't like guns. That was fine. It's not like crime was running rampant in Hinckley Township. Still, they say he was good at his job, Bingham said. But it wasn't his first love. His first love was writing. Bigham remembers that even as a deputy, Wiley would head home after work, put down his gun, and pick up a pen. He once showed him a manuscript he'd written for a book of poetry in 1973 entitled, My Love is a Silver Shadow. He also learned to combine his love of writing with the knowledge he acquired in his law enforcement career. And he started writing mystery novels. Oh, nice. And Detective Bigham wondered if his good friend, Mel Wiley, had simply planned the greatest mystery of all for his own real life. And here's a quote from Bigham. It's almost like he acted out the last chapter of a book and rode off into the sunset. Now, when Chief Wiley disappeared, he'd been working on his latest It, a murder scent in Pennsylvania. The working title was Harvest of Madness. Now, that's one of the very few things that acquaintances knew about Riley. Sounds like a heavy metal band. Uh, Harvest of Madness, that'd be an excellent metal band, yeah. Sure, he often chatted with local officials and residents at K&K Donuts, where he stopped by every morning at 7.30 a.m. for a medium cup of coffee. Two or three times a week, he'd add a donut, he'd smoke a Salem cigarette, and catch up on the latest gossip. He joked a lot and apparently had a good sense of humor. He and the donut Chop gang would even pull pranks on each other. That's another heavy metal band name right there. The donut Chop gang. Oh, we're coming up with a lot of them. But even so, it seemed he rarely revealed anything about himself. A retiree who hung out at the donut shop said after Wiley's disappearance that he wasn't the kind of guy who could become your best friend. There was one other thing that some of the locals knew about Wiley. He really longed to be somewhere else, specifically San Francisco. He felt a special connection to the city. Back when he was stationed at Fort Ord, he went there a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, he once wrote to a friend, each time I've gone to San Francisco, I've always spent a good deal of time in Chinatown, taking in the sights and sounds and smells. And every time, I've always had the sensation of being home.
1: You know, I've been told in California they have way better donuts by one of my passengers the other day. Literally? Yes, he said California has the best donuts. Wow. So maybe that's what he's talking about with the smells and yeah.
0: stuff. Yeah. Anyway, he he even once... Um, brought in one of his recorded music uh, discs that he where he had recorded actually it would have been a cassette where he recorded himself talking over one of his favorite classical music pieces, and in it he's describing San Francisco in this grand and nostalgic detail. So everybody knew that that he really longed to be there.
1: So this is one of his DJ ones. Where yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Like uh, Joe Joyce Band. chasing trains,
0: coming right right. at you. That's right. (laughs) Well, a couple of weeks after Wiley went missing in 1985, Bigham learned something else that bolstered his theory that the chief walked away on his own. The chief had recently used the typewriter at the police station. Now, here's the thing about those old typewriter ribbon cartridges. They can only be used once, and they record every keystroke. Every tap of a letter advances the ribbon ever so slightly. So if you get to the end of the ribbon and then you unwind it, I guess hold it up to the light, you can actually see the letters in reverse. So I if no you write idea. them, yeah. So if you write them down in reverse, then you can see what keys had been pressed and somebody did this to the chief's ribbon and it revealed Wiley had written a letter to someone. It was a woman, not his girlfriend. police never revealed her name. Now, in the letter, Wiley told her he had walked past her house late one night as his way to say goodbye. He said nothing he had done in his life had worked out or even had the potential to work out the way he had planned, and that by the time she received the letter, he would have put 2,500 miles between himself and Medina. And here's a quote from the letter. I will have, in one sense of the word, gone away. It's a one-way trip, so I'm told, with no option of ever returning, and perhaps that's just as well for any and all concerned. Try not to judge me too harshly. I'm not trying to hurt anyone, and if I do, that was not my intention. Right or wrong, I'm just doing what I think is the best solution for me. Now, Detective Bigham, of course, went and talked to the friend to whom the letter was addressed, and the woman said she had never received it. So Bigham concluded that Wiley probably changed his mind after realizing he'd given away too much about his plans. So authorities, they looked for Wiley in Florida, in San Francisco, of course, In that Chinatown neighborhood, they even looked in Burnt Cabins, PA, because that was the setting of the novel that he'd been working on. And at Chief Wiley's apartment, investigators found very little was disturbed. Most of his belongings were still there, including his thirty-eight caliber Smith & Wesson and his off-duty pistol. And that had the locals thinking, maybe he hadn't left on his own. Many folks in Hinckley, its population was about 5,000 people in 1985, they said, it doesn't make sense. If the chief wasn't happy with his $23,000 a year job or his life in general, why slink away and leave everything behind? Why not announce it? Take his things. Move like normal people move. The owner of the donut shop where Wiley hung out wondered Why he would abandon the car that had meant so much to him because it had been left to him in the will of his brother Clark, who had died of cancer. And would he really be capable of simply walking away from his mother, who had already suffered the loss of a son? Would he leave the model train collection? He'd spent a lifetime acquiring. His money was still in his bank account. There had been no large withdrawals. His police pension fund contained thousands of dollars, which would go unclaimed. His two-week vacation paycheck was uncashed. If you were going to start a new life somewhere, wouldn't that money come in handy? Right. But the more Detective Bigum learned, the more he was certain Wiley wanted to start over somewhere far away. Bigham knew Wiley had access to stacks of fingerprint cards that contained social security numbers. It wouldn't have been hard to assume someone else's identity, especially pre-internet, pre-technology in 1985. He also thought it telling that Wiley, who had two cats in the apartment, had left them with several days worth of cat food portioned out in dishes, along with extra water bowls, and he left a window open for them. His refrigerator was cleaned out except for a single jar of mayonnaise. He also remembered that Wiley had been asking him a lot of questions about investigative techniques the last time the two had talked. Bigam had just graduated from the FBI National Academy with a specialty in forensics. Wiley said he needed information for his novel, but who knows, maybe he had another reason. There was also a note on the table in Wiley's apartment, just something the chief had scribbled to remind himself to pick up his laundry. So, Bigham drove to the dry cleaners where his uniforms were waiting, and he found an envelope in one pocket. It contained a yellow cab schedule and a Greyhound bus schedule. Meanwhile, back at the apartment, investigators found a train schedule, and when they informed Bigham Begum thought, wait a minute, the Amtrak goes right past Edgewater Park, no more than 100 yards from where Chief Wiley's car was found.
1: That's right, the Amtrak does go through there.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, if most of Wiley's belongings were still in his apartment, it was notable what was missing. The book he was writing was gone. His poetry manuscript was gone. The resource books he used in his writing were gone. The tapes he'd made of his favorite music, the ones where he shared his commentary, were gone. The things that gave him the most pleasure in life were nowhere to be found. And back at Wiley's office, the drawer in his desk had been emptied, but for a single item, a key with a red tag that said 104B chief Wiley's apartment number. Now, Heakley Township trustees, who had hired Wiley three years earlier, said they were happy with his performance. They even kept his job open for a while. They said under the right circumstances, they might even allow him to return. Of course, they couldn't wait forever. So six months later, they hired a new police chief. And in 1993, Medina County Probate Court declared Mel Wiley dead. State law allows such a declaration for people who have been missing for five years. After all, the rest of the world has to move on, and legal entanglements have to be resolved.
1: Does all that money go to somebody, like the, all the money he had, or if he's really declared dead? Does it yeah, go?
0: well, I, I probate court, I imagine, would give it all okay. to the next of kin. Okay. So, yeah. But, you know, Mel, he would be 80 years old if he were alive today. Now, Detective Bigham told him, a Medina County Gazette reporter in 2010 I think Mel wrote his book on his way out. I think he gave his ending here. He said, here's my boots in the sunset. Now leave me the hell alone. I want to start a new life. And Bigham said there was a part of him that understood that. He said, quote, what starts to tie you down in life certainly would be family, loved ones, someone you care about, a job, Bigham said. If you lose feeling for that job, and if you lose feeling for those or want more, finally you say, enough's enough, you know? Anyway, he said he thinks Wiley found the life he finally wanted in San Francisco with a new home, a new career, and a new name. And I like this quote. He said, to anyone else, he might not be Mel Wiley. He may be Johnny Lunchbucket or Freddy Freaky Bolo, he said. And my fear is if he passes away as Johnny Lunchbucket or Freddy Freaky Bolo, we may never know. So if you're out there, Mel Wiley, why don't you contact us? Contact us. us. Let's talk.
1: (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see what our armchair detectives think about this one. This is the segment where we toss this story over to an Ohio Mysteries listener to hear their thoughts and theories of the case.
0: Well, tonight's armchair detective is Mark Turner. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you doing? We are so happy to have you here. Glad to be here. Mark is the news editor for the Akron Beacon Journal and has been at the paper for twenty years. That's right. And so I got to ask you, Mark do you do you remember this case? I mean, you're not originally <laughs> from Akron, but you've been here long enough. I, I
2: don't actually remember the case, so this was kind of new to me and a surprise.
0: Okay. Yeah, fun. Let's cut to the chase. Okay. What happened to Mount Wiley?
2: <laughs> you know what? If I have the three options, foul play, uh, drowned in Lake Erie, or walked away from his life, I go with walked away from his life every time. It's just... Kind of the evidence is there, stacked in in that direction. I look mainly at the idea that, you know, and I'm a cat lover, a pet lover. um, He left food for his cats. Days of food for his cats. And for me, that was like telling that, you know, he knew he wouldn't be back. So I lean that
0: way. There's a fourth option you didn't mention. What was? And that would be suicide. Oh, do you really think so? Well, I'm trying to understand that letter. And the letter that he had typed that they deciphered talks about he hears there's that what was it there's this is a one way trip.
2: So and, I'm told he says, and I quote, yeah. "So I'm told." But what does that mean? You, why wouldn't why would suicide not be a one way trip? Seems a little bit. I don't know. I do think that that was like the most telling quote, right? Because he also mentions yeah. the idea that that he's told it's a one way trip and that. He's gone in, some, in, in, one, in one, you know, one sense of the word. So I don't know what exactly what means. Yeah,
0: that mean. in what sense of the word? Right. You know? Gone is so gone, well, what
2: does right? That mean?
0: <laughs> I thought that letter was really cryptic. Oh, yeah. yeah. It had me feeling like. I think he went, probably went to San Francisco. I agree. But maybe he went there to kill himself. I don't know. But you feel, I like your ending a lot better.
2: Oh, do you? Good. Yeah. Good. Well, the, the thing about going to San Francisco, uh, they said, uh, talked about the, the letter, that it, 2,500 miles. I'm saying right. that's sort of, that feels arbitrary, but it's not. I looked it up. It's 2,479 miles from Hinckley to San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. So he either got it exactly right or... Wow. I don't know. How? Why would he use that? You know. Again, that kind of leads me to think he went to San Francisco, right?
0: He had to. Yeah. He had to. What do you think about, you know, when his car was found, it had a beach towel in it. Right. It had suntan lotion in it. What was going on there?
2: I mean, he's a police officer. He knew what people would be looking for, right? So maybe that's a part of the whole staging thing.
0: Do you think he wanted people to think that he drowned? Um.
2: Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think um, yeah, at least leading people in that direction that, that you know this is um, a possibility of, of the things, but I think all of it is sort of something he staged just to look like a mystery right he 's a writer yeah. he's a mystery writer now for, you know and uh, or at that point wanted to, to write mysteries, and I think all of that is part of this whole grand i 'm leaving this mystery for you guys to figure out kind of thing.
0: So, do you think that it was his intent to make it in such a way that people would not look for him, like he's he's drowned, he's you know he's not coming back? Let's stop looking. Or do you think more along the mystery lines? I've left clues for you. Let's see how far you can get.
2: I actually like the latter. I hadn't even thought about that as far as making the plan that 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 uh, specific. But yeah, definitely. I think he wanted to say. Not just come and find me, but, hey, you know, I'm leaving, and there's something left here. I wanted you to not only figure out if I'm gone or where I've gone, but a little bit about me,
0: you know? And what about leaving all of your resources behind? Your pension, your vacation pay, your your bank account, Why would you do that? You're not on the run. The police aren't looking for you. You don't have to drop and run. Why would you leave behind all your resources?
2: That is a mystery in itself. Again, a lot of this is just about the whole staging of it. You know, he didn't have any reason. That's my big mystery, right, is why? Why did you do it this way? People walk away from their lives all the time, right? We probably wouldn't even know about this if he wasn't the police chief of of Heakley. So, but why did you make some of this elaborate things, like even writing the letter? didn't have to write that letter and he didn't have to, you know, put all the, you know, all the details in there. He didn't give it to anybody, but still he put all those details in there. So I, I don't know if it's, I, it's tough for me to say.
0: Who did he write that letter to? Um, do you think it might've been to his mom? I think it might've been a married woman. Oh, I don't know. I you know, it's it's written to a woman. Right. They protected her identity. If it written to his mom, I'm not sure they would feel the need to protect her that's identity, true. but if she was a married woman, maybe that's the reason her nev- name never came up in public. Right. And one of the reasons why he felt it was hopeless for him to stay here that the you know, the the object of his affection was taken, he, that wasn't going to happen. Maybe that added to their his decision to just leave?
2: I think you might be right. Like you said in the letter, things have never worked out for him. And maybe, you know, loving a married woman was one of the things that wasn't going to work out for yeah. him. I All can right. see that.
0: So are there any theories
2: we haven't tackled? Any theories left? You well, want to talk about? I have one theory, um, and it's not actually about how this went down or where he is necessarily. But I think the detective that you mentioned, Jim Bigham, uh, actually probably knew a lot more about this than he probably let on. You know, he's a friend. Uh, he's a detective as well. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I read that he died two years ago at, the, at age seventy, and so a lot of information probably died with him, right? Yeah. But. You know, being the police chief, he knew probably who was going to investigate this case. And I think they may have known a little bit more about this than he probably let on. Like, he obviously knew the name of the person the letter was written to. Right. But now we've lost all that. So.
0: And, you know, when you know somebody, there there's so many nuances that you may not even really be able to explain or put into exactly. words. But if he had known him for, what, 15, 15 years, years or so, there's probably a lot about him that he just knows at a gut level.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And That we will never, you know be able to kind of yeah. push him on anymore now that he's gone
0: wow well thank you mark you're this very was, welcome this was very insightful <laughs> i appreciate cool. it
1: i'm glad to be here thank you that's it for tonight listeners for photos news clippings and more on this and every episode hop on over to OhioMysteries.com. also for more shows like ours the battle of waterloo
2: was one of the most famous turning points in world history but what happened next My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The SIECLE, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The SIECLE, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and can be found wherever you get podcasts.